0: Welcome, 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 and if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place. And for those of you who are keeping track, I can't believe that this is episode number 199 in Coffee Break with Game Changers, and we only have 17 other series, so we are out there bringing you good game-changing information for your business. Glad you're joining us today. Well, let's get started. The buzz today, Connected Health Systems. I know some of that probably resonates with you, but let me explain explain wearable devices. Yes, we've talked about these before, and we're going to talk about them again, and we're bringing them to a new level. So wearable devices, you've heard of them, Fitbits, you know all kinds of monitors and things you put under your shirt. Well, guess what? They're already tracking body traits and your adherence to therapy and lifestyle behaviors, and they're reporting automatically a lot of data about you if you're using them to you as the patient, to your doctors, and to other people you designate. But guess what? If these wearable devices can be taken to a new level, they could have even more dramatic impacts. Let's think about this. You might be able to change your thinking about health and your behavior, our behavior. Health insurers could pay on the outcome of your successful results versus Costs wouldn't that be lovely? And life sciences companies could focus on prevention, uh aha, as well as curing after the fact diseases and issues. Big question on the table today is this doable or is this the impossible dream? or maybe the near-term dream. We have a panel of experts. Two of them are returning on this topic, and one is new. And let me get started introducing our experts today. First up, I'm delighted to welcome back Harry Greenspun, MD. He is the director of the Deloitte Center for Health Solutions. And Harry has sent me a wonderful quote. Let's call this a hybrid quote. Part of it is from the movie Field of Dreams. Yes, way back in 1989, but people are still talking about it. And the rest is from Harry. Here's the quote. If you build it, they will come, or maybe they won't. Harry Greenspun, welcome. How are you, Harry?
2: I'm doing great, Bonnie. Great to be back.
0: Thanks for joining. So tell me, this is a cobbled-together quote, but it kind of makes sense. So how does it relate to our topic of the future? Is, is Are these connected health systems the impossible dream? Talk to me, Harry.
2: Well, you know, Bonnie, we've seen some really exciting developments in the, in the field of wearables. And, you know, in the last several years, a, a real explosion of different devices um, you know, some are new, some are really interesting, some are sort of Me Too devices. Uh, you mentioned Fitbit at the outset. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we've seen a tremendous number of, you know, activity monitors, uh, you know, which in some cases have become a bit of a commodity. Uh, and now we're seeing more interesting monitors, one, you know, things that monitor your posture, others that monitor your brain waves, things that monitor your sleep, um, and, uh, uh, and now more physiologic monitors around your heart rate and, uh, things related to your skin or your stress. So, uh, and then also ingestibles to see if you're actually taking medication. Mm. So one of the real questions is, is is that, you know, for many of these things, they've gotten rapid uptake and got lots of interest, uh, but others uh, have failed to really uh, solve, um, you know, other problems, It's not just a measurement of uh, things that sensors have to do. They also have to be able to um, gather up data and present in a way that's meaningful and actionable. And so I think a lot of these interesting new technologies are, are living and dying, not by the um the activity that they they do and uh but rather the um, the other services they're able uh to provide around them or the connectivity kind of they can achieve so on the one hand we've seen a lot of excitement on the other hand we've seen you know a lot of people uh understand, learn that healthcare is challenging and there are other factors besides technology that are more important
0: Interesting, Harry. As you were talking, uh, I'm wondering if some of these have become fashion accessories. And the Me Too part, you mentioned some of them are Me Too devices. Well, is it a Me Too? Oh, the person sitting in the cubicle next to me at work has this great hot pink Fitbit. I'd better get the purple one. Or, gee, all the kids at school have got this. Mom and dad, I need this. Is it something that's a Me Too in terms of the consumer approach to this, Harry? Or are people understanding that this really can do an awful lot of good for you? What do you see?
2: Well, you you bring up a great point because the uh, the thing about it is if you know if you're considering yourself active and and um, and and connected by technology. People sort of expect you, you know, to have something on your wrist or on your belt or somewhere like yes. that. Um, but what's also interesting is that, you know, many of these devices are competing devices. So um, if you have one device, I have a different device, um, we're both, you know, interested in getting better and, and uh, you know, connecting with each other. But of course, they don't, connect, they don't connect with each other. So I can't compare my steps or my fitness or my activity um, with yours because they're different systems and they, they lack interoperability. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Uh, They then become sort of like competing fashion statements.
0: Interesting. We have a lot more to talk about that. Again, thank you, Harry, for coming back. Great perspective. And let me bring on another returning panelist. He is Scott Lundstrom, IDC Group. Vice President and General Manager of Health Insights, Financial Insights, and Government Insights, and Scott is here because of the Health Insights. And here's a quote from none other than Bill Gates, and here we go. The first rule of any technology used in a business is that automation applied to an efficient operation will magnify the efficiency. The second is that automation applied to an inefficient operation will magnify the inefficiency. How apt. (laughs) Welcome, Scott. How have you been? In.
3: Good morning, Bonnie. Thanks, and uh, thanks for having me back for this great topic.
0: We're it del- It is a great topic. So what would Bill Gates say if, if he was here with us? What, how would he apply this efficiency versus inefficiency in terms of operations of connected health systems, Scott?
3: Sure, because I, and, and I picked Bill Gates very deliberately because I, I think, you know, certainly for, for those folks that are histor- historians and, and followers of, of tech... Um, you know, in the early days, uh, Bill made a, a key decision, and that was that owning the systems and the platforms was going to be a substantial, sustainable, significant business. And owning the gadget, the, the device at the end of the wire, was going to be a business kind of fraught with, with danger and competitive complexity and low margins. And, and I think we see that kind of in spades in the wearable space. Um, you know, your comments about connected health at the beginning, I think, really get to the heart of the matter. The, the gadgets are interesting. To your point, they are absolutely fashion at this point in the market. Mm-hmm. We buy them off a of spin rack at Best Buy. We pick them based on color and feature. Um, typically, in 90 days, we've lost them, broken them, or mm-hmm. reconciled ourselves to the fact that they're going to spend the rest of their lives in our junk drawer. Um, and and while the, the fitness heads really do get value out of it, and I don't mean to disparage the device because it meets its intended purpose, it falls well short of, of what we really need for connected wearable and health.
0: Okay, well... Let's talk a little bit, just for a second, Scott, about uh, do you think people are going to be using this as bragging rights to look at how many old Fitbits they have in their drawer? Uh, look Certain,
3: at, I mean, certainly, <laughs> um, you know, among insiders, it's a joke. You go to, you know, to hymns, to the large, you know, national trade show, and, and we do talk about, you know, everyone's new gadget and what happened to the old one and what are they doing with it. and. I, I think you know, it, it, and we all understand the reality of it. That at one level, it is it, it's fashion, and it's consumer electronics, and it's now you know a huge hall at CES. Um, you know, on the other hand, if if we focus on connecting the data to the physician for the sickest patients, we're having remarkable results. Um, there are a number of studies this year that show that that home monitoring of chronically ill elderly patients can re- mm-hmm. reduce hospital admissions by as much as 50% in that audience. And, and that's the part of this market that I think we need to be excited about. You know, not what's the new feature on, on Nike's website for runners that better integrates their device.
0: Okay, and you know what? While you were speaking, Scott, I Googled eBay and wanted to see how many used Fitbits were out there. Pardon me. (laughs) And we've got one for sale. If you're hurry, there are nine bids, ten hours left, free shipping, and it's (laughs) $8.50 still in the package. So everybody, as the barker on the sideshow would say, hurry, hurry, hurry. Forgive me, Scott. You know how curious I am about this stuff. Thank you very much. I think I have an old pre-Fitbit in a drawer somewhere. I found the instructions. I can't even find the damn thing. So what can I tell you? And let's welcome our third panelist waiting so patiently. Her name is Petra Strang. She is a solution manager in SAP's Industry Business Unit for Life Sciences, and she focuses on R&D topics. And Petra has sent us a quote from Wayne Gretzky. Those of you scratching your heads, well, who doesn't know Wayne Gretzky? Come on. He was one of the world's best ice hockey players, and to his honor, after he retired in 1999, they retired his jersey number 99 league-wide to honor him so there's for Wayne here's the quote I skate to where the puck is going to be not to where it has been Petra welcome how are you
4: thank you very much Bonnie it's great to be on your show Um, thank you for also inviting
0: a voice from Europe pleased to be here there you go. Well, we're happy to have you. So, talk to me, Wayne Gretzky, big, big influence in sports. And uh, how do we get Wayne Gretzky on this topic of where the puck is going to be, not where it's been, it, in terms of connected health systems? Go ahead. In In fact, um, he was quoted quite
4: frequently by German soccer players. Um, where it was not the puck but the ball um, going somewhere, Um, and the best ones are there where the ball is going to be. So that also applies to um, us from the IT industry that we need to anticipate um, where certain technologies um, are going and uh, not rely on the past. And it applies to the healthcare system um, overall because uh, if if we don't anticipate um, that properly and uh, and look uh, just at today's um, date, no matter whether you're looking for a puck or for a ball or for your customers, they will be gone. That's uh, the simple truth
0: well we like the simple truth any thoughts on what we've already discussed with scott and with harry petra from your point of view as far as the fashionableness i think i just created it in a word the fashionable fashionista opulence of fitbits and other health devices that they're so popular they're commoditized and people just say oh peer pressure i've got to have that but who cares what happens behind the scenes with the data collection any thoughts on that petra
4: yes indeed um there is an an interesting um, an, an interesting link between the sports or fitness, um, side and the health side, um, on the other. It's not always, um, leading directly from the, let's say, fun area into the health, um, area, but it's, uh, surprising how much money people are willing to spend on a gadget for, um, health and also for the fitness, um, part, but then are very reluctant to employ the same things for their health. I don't know whether it's uh, because of the way our brains uh, are wired to to look for instant gratification. So, you know, if I, if I see um, right now that, uh, that I've beaten um, the rest of the world because I ran longer and uh, I get that smiley versus a longer-term health outcome that I will maybe notice 10 years from now um, whether I've lived right or not. But uh, that's clearly something uh, that... Uh, the, the healthcare industry in total has to battle how do I um, deploy things that work well from one area into one that is related to healthcare.
0: Thank you, Petra. Very well put. And I think we're talking about education. We're talking about motivation. And I I still love Harry's quote. If you build it, they will come, or maybe they won't. We could turn that into maybe they'll buy it, but maybe they won't use it. Okay. Harry Greenspun, you're on the spot now. I want to know what you're drinking. You've done this several times with me before. What's in your cup right now, Harry? Or what do you plan to drink after the show?
2: Well, so I had uh, high hopes of um, drinking these sort of vegetable and fruit smoothies. Um, because we have a, a, car, a, farm cooperative that delivers fresh produce twice, um, once a week early in the morning. Mm. And I got myself a neutral bullet and all that kind of stuff. And I made one once and it was so nasty, um, that <laughs> since then we have only used the neutral bullet to make milkshakes in the house. So, um, I'm, I'm back to coffee.
0: <laughs> I love it I love it and, and Harry there's your quote again if you build it they will come Or may, and maybe they'll say it was nasty and they won't use it again I have uh, the, a friend the milkshakes
2: who made, are yeah, the milkshakes are delicious I could say though
0: I bet they are. I have a friend who uses a lot of raw kale and no matter how nasty those milk, those kale shakes taste, he drinks them anyway because of the health factor. Woohoo. And I say, really? Really? Okay. The bad taste will kill you, but at least the rest of you will feel good. Uh, Harry, what kind of coffee is it? Come on. You know, I want to know.
2: Well, actually, so I'm, I'm currently on a dream force. Uh, in San Francisco. So uh, I've just got the regular French press coffee from, uh, uh, from room service. I'm doing that at my hotel uh, because the city is overrun by 150,000 uh, technology people.
0: And you have French press from room service. Very nice. Very nice. Harry, enjoy. Scott Lundstrom, where are you calling from? Let's ask you. And what's in your cup?
3: Sure. Yeah. So I'm in my office today. Um, I have a, a nearly empty extra large hot Dunkin', so probably need another one at lunch to keep me going. Um, uh, is
0: that r- regular? <laughs> Any special flavor? Do you put anything in it? Come on. You know.
3: No. I want no. It no. It's it's a big black cup of coffee.
0: You're a purist and full of high-test caffeine, I'm assuming. Yes, Scott?
3: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely,
0: I've, <laughs> I've learned to tolerate caffeine, and I love it. I really do. But you know they don't let me have caffeine when I'm doing live radio shows. wonder why. Petra, you are the newcomer on the panel. Where are you calling from? What time of day is it? And what are you drinking?
4: Yes, uh, if it were evening, evening. Um here in uh, in Germany, a bit further ahead, I might be sitting in a Mexican restaurant drinking a strawberry margarita. But uh, since it's still um, working day, um, it's like always sparkling water. And why do I appreciate sparkling water so much? When I came to the U.S. for my first internship 25-plus years ago, I, I was unable to find sparkling water. And quite frankly, still water just doesn't do it for me. You might uh, offer it to me after a grueling trip through the Sahara, <laughs> Um, when I'm almost dying of thirst, and I will appreciate it. In all other cases, that's not for me. So I appreciate nowadays my sparkling water, that I can have it uh, every time I, I feel like it, and I drink it um, and enjoy the bubbles rising to the surface as if it were the most expensive champagne.
0: Oh, you just painted a beautiful picture. Petra, I have a question for you. When you're trudging through the Sahara and you're parched and you will accept any kind of still water, as you put it, would you be wearing your Fitbit that will be tracking how many steps you're taking? I have to know.
4: Of, of course, and not just the
0: Fitbit, <laughs> but every, everything else. You know, the skin
4: patch that uh, captures a uh, hundred uh, of, um, of my internal values uh, so that uh, my folks at home know whether I'm still alive or not.
0: There you go. Harry and Scottsy, we just got a real life use case. When she's in the Sahara, she's parched and dry. We will still know how her body is functioning. I think that's great. There you go. Somebody who's a real, a real user, real advocate. Our topic today is health wearables part three, actually. And the question is, are these the new life changers? And we might even ask, are these the new life savers? Let's see if our panel wants to go in that direction. We're going to take a quick break. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back with a lot more with harry greenspun md at deloitte scott lundstrom at idc and petra string at sap i'm still bonnie d graham and i plan to be after the break so justin out Very important topic today, health wearables. Have you bought one, seen one? Do you feel peer pressure or envy Uh, that somebody has one and it looks great? But there's another purpose and another meaning. We're talking today about connected Health systems. What happens behind those devices? Can it change your thoughts and your behavior about your health? Can it change how health insurers are making those payments that are so coveted? Can it change the focus for life sciences companies from just cure to also prevention? An awful lot. Impossible dream doable. We're in the process of finding out. So we're going to start our roundtable now with Harry Greenspun, MD from the Deloitte Center for Health Solutions. Harry, you sent me a very interesting comment here in your notes. Let's kick off with this. You say, I might be better off monitoring my dad's refrigerator instead of his heartbeat. Sometimes the most valuable measure of health does not come from a wearable. Are we dialing back in time, Harry, or are we going forward? Talk to me.
2: Well, you know, Scott brought up a great point earlier that you know the you know the real value to healthcare is around uh, remote monitoring and uh, looking at chronic disease, um, and you know one of the things is that the the people we need to monitor most are often those who are least able to use these sorts of devices. Uh, you know, I set up a Fitbit for my father-in-law on his. Um, on his computer and you know I'm the one who had to do all that kind of work he's not going to you know be downloading apps and doing that sort of thing but at the same time if I want to think what do I really want to know I want to know that my dad is okay um, and he's in his eighties, and you know I could put a, one of these biosensors on him to monitor every every beat of his heart, and if there's some problems, send some sort of alert. Um, but I generally want to know if he's just doing okay. And probably a better measure would be to to stick a sensor on his refrigerator door, and if no one's opened the refrigerator door by nine o'clock in the morning, um, you know maybe give my dad a call, saying, Hey, daddy, feeling okay? Are you still in bed? Is you know something going on? Um, and that, um, that you know, we might get better information from other types of data uh, than of the physiologic measures that these biosensing wearables are, are pushing their ways into.
0: Okay. Scott, thoughts?
2: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree
3: more. Um, you, you know, I, I think we're at that point where, you know, the market is kind of changing and maturing. Um, you know, I... I it, to, to reinforce the point, I, I just bought a, a wearable device for, uh, for my mother. Um, mm-hmm. It's not a Fitbit. It, it, it's a fall detector. Um, it, it notifies me if, um, if she falls. It has a small panic button on it. Um, it, it detects a pulse. Um, but it's it's basically a device that um that you know keeps us apprised of of the fact that she is still moving <laughs> and and still uh you know still um happy and and not in trouble so you know a broad range of devices here um i think increasingly um we find um support for uh, a whole new way of of thinking about maybe how we might manage the the chronically ill elderly the the homebound um, there's a lot of innovative work happening now, and when we look at, at tablets and uh, the availability of broadband and inexpensive connected devices, the, the idea that you know, we can really monitor and provide telemetry from the home for many patients at a very low price, I think now we're going to see really significant changes in quality of care, significant changes in, in economies of care. Um, and that's really, uh, I think, when this becomes a mature, productive technology.
0: Mm-hmm. Very interesting. I've never heard of a fall detector. Could you tell us just a little bit about that? I'm, I'm curious for personal reasons. Is it available on the market? How did your mother feel about having it? Is it sure, something she yeah. wears on her wrist? What is it?
3: No, and, and it really is it's a small, inexpensive accelerometer. Um, you have the same capability in your iPhone, actually. App developers could... Expose the same capabilities in most smartphones, um, and and it really does just alert in the case of a fall. Um, it, you know, it, it's a very simple piece of technology that um, addresses a really significant issue at a very you know inexpensive price point. Um, and and it was really something recommended by her physician. And it's interesting in that you know our research suggests that. You know, while the, the fitness wearable market is, is kind of like fashion, the true health wearable market, you know, in the case where a physician would recommend the use of a technology as part of a care plan, um, 80% adoption, very high adherence. So, you know, the attitude about a device, once it passes that line from a fitness device to a health device, really different in terms of, of how consumers perceive that and, and how they interact with it.
0: Thank you very much. Interesting. Um, We have an emergency device for my mom that's connected to a little monitor behind her computer. I think she's on her fifth Macintosh now. I don't know if she breaks them or they break her. And um, she hates it. And she wears this little wristband around the house, Scott, and she just hates it. She just doesn't want to wear it. But she did fall about three weeks ago. I found out when her 102-year-old friend's Health Aid called me at 9.30 in the morning and said, don't tell your mom, but she called me at 4.30 in the morning. My mother crawled down the hall in her apartment to a phone, pulled the phone cord down from the kitchen counter, and called this woman and said, can you please come down and help me? And they called security. An ambulance came. My mother refused to go to the hospital, but she literally crawled maybe about 40 feet on a towel on her butt after she fell in the bathroom and got to a phone. She's fine. She refused x-rays and everything, but she just doesn't like wearing it. So there's another challenge is how do you, how do we keep our seniors? My mom's going to be 99, by the way, and we just sold her car this right. week. Um, how, how do we, how do we motivate them to want to share that information? I, I, that's why I asked you about the fall monitor. Very interesting. Thanks for letting me digress a little bit here. Petra, we've got to get you in on this. What do you think about mom's fall monitor and dad's refrigerator and, and uh, about, let's talk about the, the, older people in our population. What do you think Petra?
4: In in fact I'm I'm relying on this technology to become more commonplace Um, I I don't have kids so I'm hoping that uh, by the time I'm getting older and uh, not able to support myself um, these kind of uh, technologies um, are standard are affordable and uh, if I fall um, my care robot will will then come and get the signal um, to pick me up And if the fall is serious, he will inform my doctor to come and uh, treat me quickly.
0: Wow. Well, that's a progressive way of thinking about it. Any comments from uh, Scott or from Harry on Petra's advanced thoughtfulness about her own health care?
2: Well, you know, it's good that people are, are, you know, looking forward to a future where the kinds of things that we need are going to have, you know, easy technological uh, uh, solutions. I think the advantage that, that Petra has Um, is that uh, she will have grown up and aged in an era where we're very comfortable using these devices. And uh, uh, that's been a real advantage for uh, adoption among younger people and, in some ways, a barrier of adoption to to older folks. So, uh, you know, it's a a generational issue, which will be uh, good to solve.
0: Yeah, it will be good to solve. Thank you. Scott, I'm looking at your notes here. I want to go in a slightly different direction rather than talking about accidents and fashionableness of these devices. Let's talk about the chronically ill. And you say in your notes, wearables provide remote monitor that provide remote monitoring can reduce admissions to the hospital for chronically ill patients. Managed panels have seen reductions of up to 50 percent, but we need to push harder. Talk to me. This is very interesting in terms of cutting healthcare costs and catastrophic admissions. And OMG, why am I in the hospital again? What does it mean to you, Scott?
3: Sure. And and it, it, that OMG, why am I in the hospital again? Uh, is is really. The definition of the future health system in the U.S. Increasingly, you look at demographics, and we've become our own worst enemies. You know, we're living longer and longer with chronic disease, and in increasingly, you know, a disproportionate percent of the health budget is really focused on this. So, how do we become efficient? How do we improve quality of life if if we're going living longer with disease? How do we make that something that that's easier to cope with? And You know, for many of these diseases, it's about management. If we look at at COPD, if we look at any of the the respiratory uh, obstructive disorders, if we look at diabetes, um, uh, chronic heart failure, um, these are conditions that, that show movement through diagnostics. We can tell when a patient is coming off the rails we can see when their condition is getting progressively worse. And we can take corrective actions very early on. Um, you know, in, in situations where we deal with COPD and we do a daily assessment, what we find is when that assessment is done aggressively and correctly, we keep those patients on path. They don't get sick enough to readmit. And in so many of these disease states, and especially where we have multiple kind of chronic comorbidities existing in these patients, they need help to manage it. So this is a point where, you know, five minutes of knowledgeable interaction with a professional or five minutes of of knowledgeable analysis of the data from from their monitoring device helps us say, you know what, we're going to spend five minutes with Mrs. Jones today. And that's going to forestall an admission that might have happened in two weeks. So there's this tremendous economic gain in helping these patients manage their conditions. Um, the trick is to, to do it in a, in a low cost way that isn't seen as, as obtrusive or creepy. And you know, in the best of these programs, social interaction of that care worker um, you know, becomes something that's really valued by the patient. And it causes them to be even more compliant, to participate at an even deeper level. So, it's you know, it's a wonderful kind of new way to to provide care um, to the sickest patients in our population. And I think we just have to push much harder to move the investment in that direction.
0: Interesting. I'm I'm looking at a note here. We've got uh, Dean Pappas is joining us on Twitter. And by the way, we are tweeting it, as always, at hashtag SAP radio. And Dean raises a point here. Let me just bring this to you, Scott, and to the panel. He says, medical costs will always rise as new technology comes of age. Who buys the robot? I'm not sure what the question was about the robot, but, Scott, maybe you could decipher that. Dean is always very thoughtful and very, very provocative. Thank you, Dean. So what do you think? Who should buy? The, maybe he's going to tweet now and tell me what the answer is. Who should buy the robot? So, uh, Scott, any comments on health care costs yeah, no, rising? No,
3: I, I think that's a really valid question, and I love mm-hmm. Petra's description of, of, of incorporating the care robot in her thinking. Um, you know, at our last health event in Europe, um, we had a scientist working on a DARPA project for an automated helicopter drone that would recover downed or injured warfighters automatically. So it's a drone, and then a robot, a robot climbs out of the drone, picks up the patient, puts them in the gurney, climbs back in. It's fascinating technology. Um, the idea of care robots really well along in Japan. And it does get into... You know, the, the economics of, of a market we're all going to f- become familiar with, this idea of aging in place. Okay, yeah. How do we invest in, in keeping our seniors in their homes? How do we invest in keeping them in environments where they're most comfortable, where their cost of care is lowest? And increasingly, we're going to have to create innovative economic models about how do we provide support to do this? How do we keep them out of managed care? Um, mm-hmm. How do we provide just enough assistance that families can continue to cope? And, you know, who pays for the robot is going to be one of a 100 who pays for um, And it really is going to be this tough intersection between social services, the health system, and the responsibilities of the family about what kind of investments are we going to make in, in elder care.
0: Yeah, very, very important. I wonder if, if the future will bring a state where nursing homes We'll be out of business. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Where people can age in place with in a caring community with people they know and love, and we'll have the the patience to take care of these patients in a better surrounding. And one more comment from Dean here. Scott, you're going to love this. He said, diet and exercise are the number one reason for health issues. But do I really want an alarm going off when I look at that chocolate truffle? (laughs) Dean, you're on your own on that one. (laughs) You just have to use your own conscience. Petra Strang, talk to us. We've got a lot going on here with Scott talking about chronically ill. Any thoughts on that, Petra?
4: Correct. If I, if I may come back quickly to the, to the old age um, part, when, yeah. when, you think of uh, retirement homes, um, the cheapest one you can find here in, in Germany costs you 3,000 um, euro per month. Mm-hmm. So if, if you are able to stay at your own home just for six uh, months longer, um, you have more than covered uh, the cost um, for any kind of, uh, um, gadgets, robots, what, whatever um, it will be. So, um, if uh, if you look at uh, not just what comes out of your own purse, but what it costs in the overall healthcare um, system, it it can pay for itself. Um, regarding um, chronic diseases, um, right now we have uh, um, three hundred seven um, million diabetics um, worldwide, and and it's on the rise. Um, only a small portion of them is treated in such a way that uh, um, they can prevent their disease from from getting worse. So these Mm -hmm. are clearly areas where um, both the um, diagnostic uh, measures of uh, of, uh, identifying a disease um, early on, as well as the um, how do I keep um, patients engaged and compliant to a certain treatment um, regimen and uh, how do i give them an incentive to um, to want to improve this early on before they feel the negative effects these three areas need to need to be improved and uh, it requires a lot of of thoughts um, from uh, um, not just the um, physicians um, but also from the the government uh, side from the insurance side uh, and uh, you know smart um, individuals to come up with um, creative ways how to manage that um, It will not happen overnight. Uh, Let's not kid Mm -hmm. ourselves. Um, It will not be um, a technology um, issue because right now technology can already do a lot for for you, even um, if I also don't want it uh, to stop me from from eating that that nice um, truffle. Mm -hmm. But um, it it will be something um, that uh, needs to come over time just because of the exploding costs.
0: Thank you. Very good point. Harry Greenspan, I have to mention you were named one of the 50 most influential physician executives in healthcare by Modern Healthcare. Uh, congratulations on that accolade. Harry, join us on this conversation. What do you think? Chronically ill and aging in place, and uh, the place of health monitoring and the costs. Any or ab- all right. of the above?
2: Well, I, you know, I would say all of the above. I think, you know, one of the interesting things is, uh, you know, the problem for healthcare is those problems, as Petra, you know, mentioned. It. It's the chronic disease issue. It's the, the lifestyle choice that people make that uh, result in disease. So, um, and, and it's the ability to age in place. All those things are the really expensive problems in healthcare, and, and, and you know, we often talk about the, the sickest 5% of patients who utilize, you know, 50% of healthcare resources. That's a problem that healthcare needs to solve, and wearables have been on the other end of this, really working on the healthiest of us. So, um, you know, moving it, as uh, Scott mentioned, you know, earlier from the, from the, from the healthiest to the sickest is going to be what's critically important. Um, but, you know, Dean's tweet about, you know, who pays for the robot was a really interesting mm-hmm. one because um, when we looked at the adoption of uh, surgical robots um, in many areas, it just did raise costs and did not improve outcomes, and so people spent a lot of money on these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, with you know, ultimately, the evidence showing that not necessarily great investment. So, one thing we're gonna have to do is That we're going to, you know, we're going to monitor a lot of things. We're going to put these programs in place, but we actually, actually have to make sure that it really does work. That these monitor the things that they're supposed to monitor. That changes that these uh, devices um, detect actually do uh, promote a better outcome. Otherwise, they're just kind of you know fun toys, uh, and they're not Mm -hmm. really medical devices. Um, So, you know, who pays is really going to depend on do we have evidence that shows that these things actually improve outcomes, actually drive down costs, and can make a difference.
0: Interesting point, Harry. How long do these test groups, if you're testing in your test populations, how long do you need to wait? In other words, if you wait long enough, will you get the evidence that they do help, that the outcomes are better, that the costs are down? Or if you don't test long enough, will you get a negative outcome that people say, oh, we knew we shouldn't have invested in these robotics anyway. So w- what's happening in the field of testing these?
2: Yeah, well, so finding evidence is actually hard. That's why, you know, that's why science is science and that's why, um, you know, the vitamin industry goes down a different route. Um, And, uh, you know, one of the things that we've seen is that certain diseases, like uh, congested heart failure, as an example, um, where applying remote monitoring and making these sort of interventions have shown to be very closely tied with reductions in uh, readmissions and hospitalizations and medications, all that kind of stuff. Because it's a pretty, clean, you know, I would say it's a pretty clean disease, right? You've got a problem with your heart. These things make it worse. We can check what goes on, and we can show an impact. So we've actually been able to show in studies, um, uh, the ones that Scott referenced, um, a pretty, uh, pretty uh, noticeable return on investment very quickly. By contrast, as Petra mentioned, diabetes is an enormous problem uh, throughout the world, but it's a really complicated disease. There are lifestyle choices. There are food issues, exercise stuff. Um, people get um, don't get admitted to the hospital as frequently, but they receive a lot of medical care associated with it. So to show that you've actually, by instituting a certain program or regime um, that might monitor it or help change your behavior, to show that it has um, an impact on outcomes is a lot harder um, and so I think what we're gonna need to do is focus on some of the disease states where we can really show some benefit and get the learnings from that of what works and what doesn't, what motivates, uh what tracks appropriately uh, and get some results there on uh on certain diseases and then move to the more complicated ones um, that are much more uh you know multifactorial in how you might see uh uh results or improvement.
0: Thank you, Harry. And I have a question for you, specifically for you, from Dean Pappas, who is just tweet. Oh My goodness, Dean, those fingers are just tapping away all these tweets, and we love it. He says, Harry, how do wearables interact with culture to impact healthcare? And then he brings up a very interesting word, gamification. Harry, quickly on that, because I want to cover another topic with Petra coming up soon in the time we have left. What do you see as gamification as a motivational factor?
2: Uh, so you know we're looking at whether, you know, what motivates people to make the right decisions. So for many people, um, you know, uh activity monitors were effective, not because they tracked your um, your activity, but they they put you up against your friends, right? It was a competitive thing. Um, so we need to see that, you know, what types of what you know uh types of diseases, what types of conditions lend themselves to gamification, um, and also what types of individuals respond to that. So, um, you know, I have lots of friends who are interested in competing against each other. I have others who just want their own data. and That's more interesting to them. So personalizing personalizing this and using good analytics to figure out what has worked and what hasn't uh, is going to be critically important.
0: Thank you very much. And I'm ready to move on to a slightly new topic here. I don't think we've covered this yet. Petra, I'm looking at your notes. Very, very important. Security. And that's what you say. Security is of utmost importance. The more serious the jobs health wearables perform, the more emphasis we need to place on security and reliability. Let's talk about security first, and you can blend in with reliability. What's your thought on security, Petra?
4: Security is a a key um, topic. When uh, when we see Announcements like from the FDA um, recently that there are cyber attacks on infusion pumps. Uh, So, of course, we don't want um, this to happen in a a wearable setting that someone else is uh, remote controlling um, me and my my data and therefore Mm -hmm. um, leading to um, wrong treatment options uh, with the physician. So, um, this is, you know, this can be treated just like um, military or. an aviation environment where you have to be 100 um, percent um, secure in the setting, where you have to fulfill all the data and privacy legislations around um, the globe, that's uh, a starting point for everything that that we do. If we don't manage that, then the trust of the the folks whom we need to participate in such programs um, will disappear and it will never get off the ground, and uh, specifically um, Here in in Europe, um, people are are very um, risk-adverse when it comes to sharing their um, personal and uh, medical Mm -hmm. data, so this is the first stepping stone towards our um, wearable scenarios and remote patient engagement scenarios. If we cannot guarantee the security and the data privacy as a basic, it will not fly.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I think data privacy is a big issue, and and going back to our discussion of chronically ill and of aging parents, uh, which we talked about with you as well as with Harry and Scott, the question of does a senior want everybody in the family to get that data? Is this part of their healthcare proxy? If I have the right document on my mind here, I think Harry can answer that one. Uh, What if the children, the grown children, say, yes, we want to see mom's uh, EKG on this wearable she's got right now and she doesn't like uh mary her middle daughter and she and mary don't get along but mary's curious and she doesn't want mary to have that who protects mom's privacy in terms of who gets to get that data anybody want to jump in on that i think it's a very important topic privacy as well as security scott harry petra
2: well um yeah this is harry i mean one of the interesting you know we face is actually um all the time with uh with teenagers um, mm-hmm. and uh you know the sort of the privacy issues around um yes. you know what uh you know what do parents have a right to know um, you know at the same time how do you provide the best possible care to teenagers uh, so you know these are are, are important issues, and um, you know the data that people want to share you know people become concerned not only with the the privacy information and who's going to think what, but also you know will this get back to my employer we've seen lots of employers who are implementing uh, you know wellness programs and offering up of different devices and Police are going, well, wait a minute, you know, I'm not sure I necessarily want to share this. Thing. Are they going to look at my pattern of behavior and, and, you know, take some sort of action against me for some other reason? Uh, so it, it raises many, many, uh, thorny issues as the data gets more personal and the, and the organizations or individuals that can look at it, uh, become more diverse.
0: Very interesting. Thank you. Um, Was that Harry? Scott, you want to jump in on this? Whoever it wasn't.
3: The security (laughs) issue is a a huge issue, and I think, you know, Mm -hmm. especially in the U.S., um, you know, HIPAA and and integration with electronic medical records, so important if the data is actually going to be used. Um, and managed in a secure way. Um, and yet the reality of it is most consumer wearables, you know, skirt HIPAA by, by basically saying, well, the consumer isn't obliged to protect their own data. Um, and they basically put it in the consumer app. And I think most consumers don't understand how exposed they are and how open yeah. the data they collect with these devices is. Um, you know, our data would suggest that seven, eight percent of all financial identity theft in the U.S. is, in fact, medical identity theft. You increasingly hear this notion of medjacking, of of taking mm. over someone's identity through access to their medical data, um, wow. and these just provide another vector for for the kinds of attacks.
0: I've never heard of that midjacking, but I have a comment here from Dean. I just named Dean our honorary fourth panelist. I think he would appreciate that. <laughs> Dean, you're here. You're not on the, this part of the panel. You're on the digital panel. And we really, he's tweeted about 20 times and I'm trying to keep up with it. He says, wow, Bonnie, I think this may be one of the toughest issues. Family relationships. Aha. And then he says, oh, my, the privacy issues with a life insurer putting a black box on the customer. Ooh, I think there's a part four in there. and We just might have to have Dean on the panel. For real, Dean, you just better get ready with your presentation skills here. Uh, anybody want to take that any further? Petra, any comments on, on family relationships and the privacy issues that you started a minute ago?
4: yes uh, when when it comes to family relations there are some um, scenarios where it's extremely helpful and harry had pointed out um earlier that uh, we have to pick our our battles and find the right uh, indications uh, the right um, um treatment areas where these technologies uh, make sense and provide um, very fast um, fast value add so um um, I had a, a colleague um, who was uh, traveling often, who was on heavy medication, and uh, if he didn't take his pills um, on time, he would, um, you know, he would lose consciousness and mm. be in a serious medical condition. So his family constantly worried when he was overseas and whether everything is going well. So to have um, then a certain environment where they can see whether um, he is doing okay, even if they can't reach him because he is in. in all day meetings or something like this um, does help, but you need uh, the ability to um, clearly specify um, whom you allow um, um, visibility into your data um, it is uh, it is also very helpful to have that sharing um aspect when you are um, switching doctors or when you want to have a second um, opinion um, that that can facilitate a lot of of things um it uh, it is uh, surprising how much information you indeed can get um, out of out of the data and out of the tools. Um, we had uh, one project uh, here in Germany that looked for signals of depression, where your cell phone knows so much about whether you're having a good day or not, even if you're if you're not uh, um, talking on the phone, but just the way how you touch it, it's almost scary. So yes, I want to have that information very. Um, wow. Yeah.
0: Wow. I, I wasn't aware of that. That would be something I think called nuancing. I'm not sure, but how you touch your cell phone. I guess whether you jab at it if you're angry or in a hurry or you're hyper. Very, very interesting. So much we, so many topics we've covered on that we've just basically touched the surface. So uh, I'm going to offer to the three of you. We'll talk offline if you want to come back for part four. I think there's just so much very interesting. Uh, just a side comment. I was rec- I was just asked. I'm, I'm being referred to a particular medical specialist for an investigative reason, nothing's wrong, but just the office called me and they said, before we'll give you an appointment, we need your primary doctor to, are you ready for this? Harry, you're not going to believe this. Would you fax us the reports of the previous testing? And as I'm listening to the three of you on the show, I'm realizing my data is part of what is now the humongous North Shore Hospital LIJ system here on Long Island. I can't book an appointment with any doctor who doesn't bring up my, are you still at this address? Do you still have insurance? Is this still your phone? They know everything about me. Yet this office said, can you have the other doctor fax us the reports? Those reports are already in the system. All they have to do is put in my name and they'll have more information than they ever wanted. And I'm thinking, facts? Really? But that's just me saying, Oh, MG, you've got to be kidding me. Let's just leave that one on the side. You know what? It's time for predictions. Harry Greenspun, I know you love this part of the show. Look into that crystal ball on your doctor's desk there and tell me if we visited this conversation again, maybe 2020, you know, I like that. Or anytime you see clearly in the future, what would the answer be from you? Health wearables, the new life changers, Yes, no, impossible dream. I'm going to give you 60 seconds. Harry, go.
2: So I'm going to say a couple things. One is that um, that wearables will be um, used extensively um, in chronic disease management and in remote monitoring, and they will have demonstrated themselves to be very effective. And that's more in the near term. I think it's going to be a very important change that we'll see. I think the really interesting thing we're going to see is going to be the use of wearables tied to um, uh, sort of authenticating that people are making better choices. So, just as you mentioned that we can put monitors in people's cars to monitor their driving to get them a better discount, I think you're going to see first a wave of people demanding from their insurance companies that saying that I've got these devices, I can prove that I make better choices, I deserve a discount, and we'll see business models. Uh, that arise around uh, the demonstrated uh, better lifestyle leads to lower costs, uh, and therefore I get a discount. That will be one. I think as that gets adopted, eventually we're going to see uh, requirements for people um, with certain conditions or in certain a very expensive medications uh, to show that they are uh, accountable and equal partner in, uh, in achieving a better outcome.
0: Thank you very much. Appreciate that, Scott Ludstrom at IDC. What do you see in the crystal ball? Sixty seconds. Go.
3: Sure. Yeah. So, so two components. I, on the, you know, the commercial side, we really do make progress with with payers and providers now really being motivated to to reduce and and own that kind of readmission responsibility. So I think that, you know, the commercial wearables business continues to move forward. Um, you know, on the consumer side, I have to believe that that some of the dark side that, uh, that Dr. Greenspan spoke of, you know, really does emerge. Um, I think we see ploy employers that are going to require it as part of their health insurance program for, for certain expensive employees um, or, or for all employees as a way to reduce overall insurance costs. Um, And I do think in the next 12 months we see a a major wearables hack um, that that really is going to expose the fact that we can suck the data right off one of these devices pretty easily as it moves by in the environment.
0: Thank you very much, Petra. I saved 60 seconds for you. Predictions, you're up. Go.
4: Well, I hope my predictions
0: uh, this
4: time are better than the one about telemedicine uh, 25 years ago that still haven't uh, come to life. (laughs) But um, when I have to predict something, I say follow the money. So um, what can be built? Um, What are people being... Paid for. Those are the things that that will survive. Um, they still have to solve the liability issue, but I'm hoping that we're coming to a um, um, an environment where I have a doctor as a service. You know, just like nowadays, my car manufacturer calls me up uh, when my car needs to go to inspection and needs no tires. Hopefully, in the future, my doctor will also call me up and say, Petra, your um, your health um, check is is due. Those kind of things. Maybe far, far out, um, we'll have something with a a virtual patient um, where we collect information from millions of patients, feed that into a a big virtual um, patient, um, let it run over the different uh, genomics and the different uh, um, lifestyle information, the different uh, drug information, and then uh, better predict um, what are really the root causes of diseases. But I think that's a bit um, further out uh, than the next 25 years.
0: Thank you very much, Petra. Harry Greenspun, MD at Deloitte, and to our friends at Deloitte, thank you. Scott Lundstrom at IDC, thank you. Petra Strang at SAP, thank you. Shout out to Susan Rafazada at SAP for always bringing us great topics. Justin and the Business Channel team. And Dean Pappas, our honorary fourth today. Dean, email me. we got to get together. <laughs> Here's my <laughs> call to action. I don't know whether you got a wearable in it, but fasten that seat belt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great day and be healthy. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for Coffee Break with Game Changers. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag, pound sign, R A D I O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.